Chapter Six of A Strange Disappearance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Strange Disappearance by Anna Catherine Green. Chapter Six A Bit of Calico. It was about this time that I took up my residence in a sort of lodging-house that occupied the opposite corner to that of Mr. Blake. My room, as I took pains to have it, overlooked the avenue, and from its windows I could easily watch the goings and comings of the gentlemen, whose movements were daily becoming of more and more interest to me. For set it down to caprice, and men are often as capricious as women, or account for it as you will. His restlessness at this period was truly remarkable. Not a day that he did not spend his time in walking the streets, and that not in his usual aimless gentlemanly fashion, but eagerly, and with an intent gaze that roamed here and there, like a bird seeking its prey. It would often be as late as five o'clock before he came in, and if, as now frequently happened, he did not have company to dinner, he was even known to start out again after seven o'clock, and go over the same ground as in the morning, looking with strained gaze, that vainly endeavoured to appear unconcerned, into the faces of the women that he passed. I not unfrequently followed him at these times, as much for my own amusement as from any hope I had of coming upon anything that should aid me in the work before me. But when he suddenly changed his route of travel, from a promenade in the fashionable thoroughfares of Broadway and Fourteenth Street, to a walk through Chatham Square and the dark, narrow streets of the east side, I began to scent whom the prey might be that he was seeking, and putting every other consideration aside, regularly set myself to dog his steps, as only I, with my innumerable disguises, knew how to do. For three separate days I kept at his heels wherever he went, each day growing more and more astonished, if not to say hopeful, as I found myself treading the narrowest and most disreputable streets of the city, halting at the shops of pawnbrokers, peering into the back rooms of liquor shops, mixing with the crowds that infest the corner groceries at nightfall, and even slinking with hand on the trigger of the pistol I carried in my pocket up dark alleys where every door that swung noiselessly to and fro as we passed shut upon haunts of such villainy as only is known to us of the police or to those good souls that for the sake of one whose example they follow lay aside their fears and sensitiveness to carry light into the dim pits of this wretched world at first i thought mr blake might have some such reason for the peculiar course he took but his indifference to all crowds where only men were collected his silence where a word would have been well received, convinced me it was a woman he was seeking, and that with an intentness which blinded him to the commonest needs of the hour. I even saw him once, in his hurry and abstraction, step across the body of a child who had fallen face downward on the stones, and that with an expression showing he was utterly unconscious of anything but an obstacle in his path. The strangest part of it all was that he seemed to have no fear, to be sure, he took pains to leave his watch at home, but with such a figure and carriage as he possessed, the absence of jewellery could never deceive the eye for a moment as to the fact of his being a man of wealth, and those he went among would do anything for money. Perhaps, like me, he carried a pistol. At all events he shunned no spot where either poverty lay hid or deviltry reigned. 
his proud stern head bending to enter the lowest doors without a tremble of the haughty lips that remained compressed as by an iron force except when some poor forlorn creature with flaunting headgear and tremulous hands attracted by his bearing would hastily brush against him when he would turn and look perhaps speak though what he said i always failed to catch after which he would hurry on as if possessed by seven devils the evenings of those three days were notable also two of them he spent in the manner i have described the third he went to the windsor house where the countess de mirac had taken rooms going up to the lady's entrance and actually ringing the bell only to start back and walk up and down on the opposite side of the way with his hands behind his back and his head bent evidently deliberating as to whether he should or should not carry out his original intention of entering the arrival of a carriage with the stately subject of his deliberations who from her elaborate costume had seemingly been to some kettledrum or private reception speedily put an end to his doubts as the door opened to admit her i saw him cast one look at her heavily draped person with its snowy opera cloak drawn tightly over the sweeping folds of her maize-coloured silk and shrink back with what sounded like a sigh of anger or distrust and without waiting for the closing of the door upon her turned toward home with a step that hesitated no longer the fourth day to my infinite chagrin i was sick and could not go with him all i could do was wrap myself in blankets and sit in my window from which i had the satisfaction of viewing him start as i supposed upon his usual course the rest of the day was employed in a long dull waiting for his return only relieved by casual glimpses of mrs daniel's troubled face as she appeared at one window or another of the old-fashioned mansion before me she seemed too to be unusually restless opening the windows and looking out with forlorn cranings of her neck as if she too were watching for her master indeed i have no doubt from what i afterwards learned that she was in a state of constant suspense during these days her frequent appearance at the station-house where she in vain sought for some news of the girl in whose fate she was so absorbed confirmed this only the day before i gave myself up to my unreserved espionage of mr blake she had had an interview with mr grice in which she had let fall her apprehensions that the girl was dead and asked whether if that were the case the police would be likely to come into a knowledge of the fact upon being assured that if she had not been privately made way with there was every chance in their favour she had grown a little calmer but before going away had so far forgotten herself as to intimate that if some result was not reached before another fortnight had elapsed she should take the matter into her own hands and she did not say what she would do but her looks were of a very menacing character it was no wonder, then, that her countenance bore marks of the keenest anxiety as she trod the halls of that dim old mansion, with its dusky corners rich with bronzes, and the glimmering shine of the ancient brocades, breathing suggestions of loss and wrong, or bent her wrinkled forehead to gaze from the windows for the coming of one whose footsteps were ever delayed. She happened to be looking out, when after a longer stroll than usual the master of the house returned. As he made his appearance at the corner, I saw her hurriedly withdraw her head and hide herself behind the curtain, from which position she watched him as with tired steps and somewhat dejected mien. He passed up the steps and entered the house. 
Not until the door closed upon him did she venture to issue forth, and with a hurried movement shut the blinds and disappear. This anxiety on her part redoubled mine, and thankful enough was I, when on the next day I found myself well enough to renew my operations. To ferret out this mystery, if mystery it was, I still found myself forced to admit the possibility of there being none, had now become the one ambition of my life, and all because it was not only an unusually blind one, but of a nature that involved danger to my position as detective. I entered upon it with a zest, rare even to me, who love my work, and all it involves, with an undivided passion. To equip myself, then, in a fresh disguise, and to join Mr. Blake shortly after he had left his own corner, was anything but a hardship to me that bright winter morning though I knew from past experience, a long and wearisome walk was before me, with nothing in all probability at the end, but reiterated disappointment. But for once the fates had willed it otherwise. Whether Mr. Blake, discouraged at the failure of his own attempts, whatever they were, felt less heart to prosecute them than usual, I cannot say. But we had scarcely entered upon the lower end of the bowery, before he suddenly turned with a look of disgust and gazing hurriedly about him, held a Madison Avenue car that was rapidly approaching. I was at that moment on the other side of the way, but I hurried forward too, and signaled the same car. But just as I was on the point of entering it, I perceived Mr. Blake step hastily back, and with his eyes upon a girl that was hurrying past him with a basket on her arm, regained the sidewalk with a swiftness that argued his desire to stop her. Of course I let the car pass me, though I did not dare approach him too closely after my late conspicuous attempt to enter it with him, but from my stand on the opposite curbstone I saw him draw aside the girl, who from her garments might have been the daughter or wife of any one of the shiftless, drinking wretches lounging about on the four corners within my view, and after talking earnestly with her for a few moments, saunter at her side down Broom Street, still talking. Reckless at this sight of the consequences which might follow his detection of the part I was playing, I hasted after them, when I was suddenly disconcerted by observing him hurriedly separate from the girl, and turn towards me with intention, as it were to regain the corner he had left. Weighing in an instant the probable good to be obtained by following either party, I determined to leave Mr. Blake for one day to himself, and turn my attention to the girl he had addressed especially as she was tall and thin, and bore herself with something like grace. Barely bestowing a glance upon him, then, as he passed, in a vain attempt to read the sombre expression of his inscrutable face grown five years older in the last five days, I shuffled after the girl, now flitting before me down Broom Street. As I did so, I noticed her dress to its minutest details, somewhat surprised to find how ragged and uncouth it was that Mr. Blake should stop a girl wherever seen, clad in a black alpaca frock, a striped shawl, and a bowery hat trimmed with feathers, I could easily understand. But that this creature, with her faded calico dress, dingy cape thrown carelessly over her head, and ragged basket, should arrest his attention, was a riddle to me. I hastened forward with the intent to catch a glimpse of her countenance, if possible but she seemed to have acquired wings to her feet, since her interview with Mr. Blake. Darting into a crowd of hooting urchins, that were rushing from Center Street after a broken wagon and runaway horse, she sped from my sight with such rapidity, 
I soon saw that my only hope of overtaking her lay in running. I accordingly quickened my steps, when those same hooting youngsters, getting in the way of my feet, I tripped up, and, well, I own, I retired from that field baffled. Not entirely so, however. Just as I was going down, I caught sight of the girl tearing away from a box of garbage on the curbstone, and when order having been restored, by which lofty statement I mean to say, when your humble servant had regained his equilibrium, I awoke to the fact that she had effectually disappeared. I hurried to that box, and succeeded in finding hanging to it a bit of rag easily recognized as a piece of the old calico frock, of nameless color which I had been following a moment before. Regarding it as the sole spoils of a very unsatisfactory day's work, I put it carefully away in my pocket-book, where it lay till— But, with all my zeal for compression, I must not anticipate. When I came home that afternoon, I found myself unexpectedly involved in a matter that, for the remainder of the day, at least, prevented me from further attending to the affair I had in hand. The next morning Mr. Blake did not start out as usual— and at noon I received intimation from Fanny that he was preparing to take a journey, where she could not inform me, nor when, though she thought it probable he would take an early train. Mrs. Daniels was feeling dreadfully, she informed me, and the house was like a grave. Greatly excited at this unexpected move on Mr. Blake's part, I went home and packed my valise with something of the spirit of her who once said, under somewhat different circumstances, I allow, whether thou goest, I will go. The truth was, I had travelled so far and learned so little, that my professional pride was piqued. That expression of Mr. Grice still rankled, and nothing could soothe my injured spirit now but success. Accordingly, when Mr. Blake stepped up to the ticket office of the Hudson River Railroad next morning, to buy a ticket for Putney, a small town in the northern part of Vermont, he found beside him a spruce young drummer, or what certainly appeared such, who by some strange coincidence wanted a ticket for the same place. The fact did not seem in the least to surprise him, nor did he cast me a look beyond the ordinary glance of one stranger at another. Indeed, Mr. Blake had no appearance of being a suspicious man, nor do I think at this time he had the remotest idea that he was either watched or followed. An ignorance of the truth which I took care to preserve, by taking my seat in a different car from him, and not showing myself again during the whole ride from New York to Putney. End of chapter 6